Thank you and welcome to Scripture on Creation. I'm Scott Kump. And I'm Dr. Ben Scripture. Dr. Scripture, you've been on an extended trip out of town giving live Scripture on Creation presentations. And as a result, you've been unable to record new programs here in the studio. Yeah, Scott. So I want to re-air a series of four programs we did way back in 2009. The information is as relevant today as it was then. And I think our listeners will find them interesting. Dr. Scripture, I hear you were on trial not too long ago. <laughs> well, I wasn't on trial. I was in a trial. Oh, in a trial. As, yes. a, as a witness? Actually, yes. Okay. Now, let me explain. It wasn't a real trial. In other words, the judgment didn't actually put somebody in prison or let them get out of prison. It was what we would call a mock trial. And I was considered to be the expert witness for the prosecution. Ooh, this sounds intriguing. <laughs> yeah, and it, was, uh, it really was a very interesting trial. This uh, mock trial was, in a sense, based on the Scopes trial, but it was, I guess you might say, the exact opposite. Oh, really? Yeah. If you understand what was actually taking place in the Scopes trial, or the monkey Scopes trial, mm -hmm. it was often referred to back many, many years ago in Tennessee, what happened in that particular situation was the school teacher there in Dalton, Tennessee, was fired from his position for teaching on evolution. And that trial actually was Scopes, the teacher, suing to get his job back. Oh, okay. Well, in the end, he didn't win the trial. But, uh, of course, what the case was about, in a sense, they really did win because mm -hmm. they made so much hay because of that whole situation revolving around this teacher losing his job for teaching evolution. They won in that, the press. Yeah, they sure did. They sure <laughs> did. So this particular trial was set up around the premise of a school teacher losing her job because she had presented some creation or uh, intelligent design material in her classroom. Where was this? This was at the uh, Northern Kentucky University in, in Northern Kentucky, of all places. <laughs> and uh, it was put on by the Chase Law School and funded by Scripps Howard. And so it really uh, was centered around a public forum where they're trying to get particular public issues in debate. So this trial was put on by the law school, and uh, it was set up very, very interestingly with real lawyers, with a real judge, with uh, real expert witnesses, I guess you could say. And I was the expert witness for the prosecution in which this teacher was trying to get her job back. So who was the jury? Well, the jury was the audience. This was set up on October 22nd of 2008, and on that evening, there were about 200 people in the audience, mm. and they were all given those little clickers to uh, <laughs> give their little opinion, yes or no, or whatever on, on like the on questions that were asked. Like on modern court TV and that sort of thing. Yeah, right. <laughs> this is a real popular way of doing things now. So obviously, it wasn't a jury of 12, and it didn't have to be a uh, unanimous decision. You're never going to get 200 people to be unanimous <laughs> on anything, I don't think. Let me uh, read for you what this audience was told to sort of set the stage for the decisions then that they were going to make. A fictional high school biology teacher who is to her very core a traditionally trained evolution adherent comes to believe that she should include in her science class information challenging evolution, given that an increasing number of credentialed scientists are publishing on the topic, and given that the public debate so frequently includes the push to include the teaching of what's widely called creation science. In her public school classroom, this teacher rigorously teaches evolution, fully meeting the guidelines of Kentucky's stringent core curriculum for her high school science. 
but in the spirit of academic freedom and learning, she also points out to her students that there are some scientists who are publishing conclusions at odds with that evolution. She is matter-of-fact about this, not judgmental. She offers her class a synopsis of the scientists' findings. Her goal is to foster a discussion of the topic. She was told not to do so by her local school board, but she doesn't stop. She is careful not to teach for or against religion, but she is convinced that her students should consider the science issues in a science class. There is a teaching value, in her view, to airing the challenges coming from within the scientific community, even if the challenges represent a minority voice and one she hasn't come to accept herself. In some school districts, this more open approach is accepted under the teach-but-don't-preach doctrine, which actually prevails in Kentucky with regard to this topic. But the fictional Chandler County Board of Education in our mock case holds closely to the curriculum guidelines, sees an obligation to uphold them strictly, and so fires the teacher for straying from the mandated curriculum. The board understands that to most scientists, creation science is an oxymoron and not science at all. Mostly, however, the school board acted as a matter of law, not personal belief. The teacher, the fictional Sue Scott, is suing to get her job back and for the right to include some presentation of creation science in her classroom, all the while also meeting core requirements to send her students forth fully informed on evolution and assured that evolution is the standard view among scientists. The principle at stake for her is academic freedom and the notion that a teacher should not fear alternative views and that a teacher's classroom should not be overregulated by the school board. So, was the teacher wrong and the school board right? That's the guts of what's on trial in this exercise. Should she get her job back, and if so, with or without conditions? So I have a question. Based on the wording of this, was she actually teaching creation science, or was she just presenting some of the potential problems with the evolutionary assumptions about the age of the earth or things like that? What she presented in her classroom wasn't creation science at all. And, of course, this was an important part of the way we then developed the case. What we showed was she was just presenting science that contradicted evolutionary assumptions or some of the evolutionary conclusions. Mm. And that was a big part of the case that we made. So what I'll be doing in our program is showing you some of the stuff that came up through the trial. But to answer your question specifically, no, she wasn't teaching creation. She was simply presenting science in the classroom that contradicted evolution. Okay, so we know that the audience was the jury, and they were given their instructions. How was the rest of the trial set up? Pretty much the trial was set up just like a real trial, although it was under some careful time constraints. But uh, like I mentioned, there was a real judge, and so he gave instructions to the jury and to the lawyers. There were real lawyers. The lawyer for the prosecution was quite a famous lawyer in the northern Kentucky area, I guess, and uh, he had his credentials that were spelled out there in the biographies of the trial participants. And the lawyer for the defense was a lawyer there that also was well-known in the area. So then what they did was they had the opening remarks, they had the uh, cross-examination and so forth of the teacher and of the defendant who actually was the school board. And they had a, a man who was actually a superintendent of a school board. He was retired, but he played the part of the defense. Then they had the expert witness for the defense. And this is one of the areas then where we really sort of focused in on trying to make our case. The expert witness for the defense, his name, was Edwin Kagan. Let me read to you about Edwin Kagan. 
says, Edward Kagan is the expert witness for our fictional school district this evening. Ed was an Eagle Scout, former college English instructor, a United States Air Force veteran, an NRA certified handgun instructor, a holder of an honorary black belt, and a Freemason. Ed helped found the Free Inquiry Group, and he originated Camp Quest, the nation's first residential secular summer camp. I like the way they put that. This isn't in the biography now. They call it, what was it? Um, First Residential Secular Summer Camp. (laughs) Read that, a camp about atheism, sort of indoctrinating kids that there Mm -hmm. is no God and so forth. Very bizarre, in my opinion. In any event, I'll keep reading about his uh, biography. He addresses a variety of topics on his internet radio show and website, AnswersInAtheism.net. <laughs> As the, quote, candidate without a prayer, unquote, Ed ran unsuccessfully for the Kentucky Supreme Court and Senate. He is a national legal director for American Atheists, serving on its national board of directors. He was awarded Atheist of the Year for 2005 and 2008 by American Atheists. This was the biography of this man. And as you might notice, mm-hmm. there's something missing in this. If you ask me, what would be missing, Scott? Scientific credentials? Uh, yeah. How about that? There is nothing <laughs> there are in there. some impressive things in there like Eagle Scout, but yeah, yeah nothing about a, his scientific background. He's quite an atheist, but there's nothing in here about science whatsoever. And this was the approach that we wanted to take, that this man, as the expert witness for the defense in critiquing what this school teacher was presenting, had no expertise whatsoever no experience to critique what she was presenting. And our approach was, with my science background, doctorate in biochemistry, and hopefully most of the audience knows my background in science, um, I at least had the credentials to critique what she was presenting. And as it turns out, our approach worked very, very well. Oh, really? We just tried to focus in on what she was presenting in class as science, was it valid or not? So I critiqued what she was presenting from different scientific papers, We critiqued intelligent design from the perspective of irreducible complexity, from some genetic works that was being done by a Cornell scientist, and made the case that everything that she presented was purely good science, and there really was no case to be made for her presenting creation or Bible information (laughs) or anything like that in the classroom. On the other hand, this atheist was purely coming at it from the perspective of we shouldn't have religion in the classroom. In the end, we made a great case that this wasn't about creation even. It was simply about, can this teacher present science that contradicts evolution in the classroom? So how did the jury react? Well, the jury reacted, obviously, as I'm presenting this today, in our favor. And what I want to do is present then the actual statistics of the various decisions Mm. that they made. These are the questions that the jury was asked to address. Should our fictional teacher, Sue Scott, be given her job back? teaching high school biology in the Chandler County School District, and they asked for five responses. Response number one, no, because she violated the conditions set by her employer when she strayed from accepted standards for a high school biology class. 36% of the audience said that. Two, no, but for other reasons. Only 2% said that. So 38% of the audience felt that she should not get her job back which means that the rest said that she should. In other words, to put it simply, we ended up winning the case. Let me read what they said yes to. Yes, unconditionally. That is, she should be permitted to continue presenting research by young earth scientists that challenges evolution. 31% said yes to that. Yes, if she agrees to stop including young earth science research as part of her teaching. 4% said yes to that. And then finally, yes, if she agrees in writing to make it clear when teaching young earth research that most scientists reject that research 
and accept evolution as the explanation for the origins of the earth and its plant and animal life. 28% said yes to that. So 63% said yes, she should get her job back with varying degrees, mm -hmm. you know, and 38% said no. So the bottom line was we actually won the case that she should get her job back, and we were really gratified by that because our approach seemed to work. Finally, when we're talking about these statistics, what made this really gratifying was before the case began, they surveyed the jury on whether they believe in evolution or not to sort of get a sense for, you know, where people were coming from. 82% said that they did believe in evolution. 14% said they believed in creation and 4% were unclear. So 82% said they were evolutionists. And yet a number of those crossed over and said, yes, but still they felt that she should keep her job and that, you know, to varying degrees, evidence contradicting evolution should be presented in the classroom. That to me was very, very encouraging. Finally, then remembering the name of our program, Scripture on Creation, how might this all relate to the word of God? I'm reminded of something that Paul said to Timothy in 2 Timothy chapter 4, verse 3, for the time will come when they will not endure sound doctrine and will turn away their ears from the truth and will turn aside to myths. Perhaps this is a little encouraging that some of these people were still willing to listen to the truth. And so let's remember what the Word of God says. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. That's not what I say. That's what Scripture says.